to your Catholic drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you this morning. Praise be to God. Good morning to you. Not sure what's on your day, but today's show is going to be um, difficult for some, I imagine, intense for others, but I think incredibly informative. E. Michael Jones is going to be our guest during our guest segment. He wrote a book called Libido Dominandi. Essentially, it's about the, the lust to dominate, the, you know, the disordered passion to dominate others. His uh, subtitle is Sexual Liberation and Political Control. And E. Michael Jones is going to be on our guest uh, on our show today. We're very excited about this. Praise be to God. But I want to expand the conversation during, especially during the What's Concerning Us segment that will be coming up. And uh, to link, to make the link between pornography addiction, sexual addiction, and violence. You know, there was a, a story of the Atlanta shooter. We, we reported on it yesterday, I think, I think it was. And um, there's a lot of people inside and outside the church who just want to dismiss the situation as being pure racism. And they, they ignore or overlook the fact that his own family kicked him out of the house because of his pornography addiction. I have a personal uh, history with pornography addiction, so, and I've written a book about how, how to overcome it, and I've traveled the country and beyond discussing it, so I think I want to talk a little bit about this in our What's Concerning Us section. So we're going to talk about the, the destruction, the violence of pornography on the psyche, this, the, uh, the emotions, the, our, our, our souls, our communities, our families, and how it leads to violence. That'll, co- that'll come up in the What's Concerning Us section. Of course, we have the Breaking news and stories with Emily Alcrest. Good morning to you, Emily. Good morning, Joe. You know, I did try to put a few happy headlines in there because today's topic is so heavy. Oh, good. Well, praise be to God. We need balance in our life. <laughs> you know, it's like we should just have the Darth Vader theme song in the background at all times. <laughs> you know, everything is just always so oppressive. But that's not true. There's still beautiful stories in the world, right? That's right. Yeah. And it's important as Christians, we have to be the joy in the world and the Amen. light of Christ. Amen. So. All right, speaking the speaking of the joy of the world and the light of Christ, Adrian Fonseca is on the ones and twos this morning. Good morning, good morning. You know, I feel so bright today. I just feel illuminated. <laughs> well, praise be to God for it. Hopefully it, it you great. still will be at the end of the show. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, great show. We're going to have a Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day, What's Concerning Us. We'll have E. Michael Jones as our guest in the guest segment. And uh, don't forget, this week is special. So our second hour, for those of you that do uh, or are able to, can and want to join us for our second hour, our second hour the, for the rest of this week only is going to be postponed till the 9 a.m. 10 Eastern uh, time slot. So if you want to join us in the second hour, you got to join us at that point. Uh, we'll talk about that later. All right. So a lot to discuss, a lot to dive into today. And again, just as a warning for parents that might have children with them, today's conversation could be tricky uh, because we're talking about the very important issue of pornography addiction and sexual enslavement and how uh, with E. Michael Jones, he's going to talk about how it's used for revolution. Uh, but we're going to, in the What's Concerning Us section, going to talk about the headline news in relation to pornography addiction and its destructive behavior. So we're going to have that conversation today. So I hope
hopefully you'll be able to join us. But uh, at any rate, I wanted to give you a heads up. Let's pray. Whatever your intentions are, dear listener, we are certainly praying for you. Uh, we are including our own prayers, asking the Queen of Heaven and Earth to pray and intercede for all of us today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. Ahmad Alawiwi Alisa was identified by authorities Tuesday as the gunman who opened fire at a King Supers grocery store in Colorado, killing 10 people, including a Boulder police officer. Alisa, whose family immigrated from Syria, may have been suffering from mental illness, according to his 34-year-old brother, Ali Aliwi Alisa. Alisa had become increasingly paranoid around 2014, believing he was being followed and chased, according to his brother. One of the victims was police officer Eric Talley, who was among the first to respond to the shooting. Talley, a Catholic, was often seen at St. Martin de Porres Parish, and he leaves behind a wife and seven children. Archbishop Samuel Aquila of Denver said in a statement, We must work to promote deeper conversion of hearts so that our lives are characterized by the virtue of charity, which allows us to love God and our neighbor, strengthening the fabric of society and preventing senseless acts of violence such as this one. The U.S., in tandem with Canada, the U.K., and the European Union on Monday, sanctioned Chinese officials in Xinjiang for human rights abuses committed against the Uyghurs. The State Department announced the global Magnitsky sanctions against two Chinese officials in Xinjiang for their connection to appalling abuses in the region. Targeted sanctions under the Global Magnitsky Act are reserved for serious human rights abusers. Up to 1.8 million Uyghurs and other ethnic and religious minorities are estimated to have been imprisoned in a network of more than 1,300 camps in Xinjiang. Detainees have reportedly been subject to indoctrination, forced labor, beatings, torture, and sterilizations. Previous Secretary of State Mike Pompeo determined that China was committing genocide in Xinjiang against Uyghurs and other ethnic and religious minorities in the region. Religious freedom advocates praised the sanctions as a first step of a necessary larger effort to pressure China over its human rights abuses. A Catholic bishop has lamented an English appeal court at ruling that life-sustaining treatment can be withdrawn from a five-year-old girl against her mother's wishes. The Court of Appeal upheld a high court ruling on March 19th concerning Pippa Knight, who is in a vegetative state after suffering brain damage. Bishop John Sherrington said, Pippa is living in a seriously disabled way due to her complex and rare medical condition. The Catholic Church teaches that every person has worth and dignity which is independent of their condition. Lack of awareness does not diminish worth. The case has similarities with those of Charlie Gard and Alfie Evans, in which ventilation was withdrawn against their parents' wishes. In February, Pippa's mother asked appeal judges to overturn the ruling arguing that her daughter should be allowed to leave the hospital and be treated at home on a portable ventilator. But the judges decided that it was lawful and in the girl's best interest that life-sustaining treatment be withdrawn. And the beatification cause is advancing for the missionary brother Pedro Manuel Salado de Alba, 
who died in Ecuador in 2012 after saving seven children from drowning in the ocean. Salado was a consecrated member of the Home at Nazareth, an institute of consecrated life headquartered in Córdoba. He made his final vows in 1990 and lived in Spain until 98. He was then assigned to the Quininde Mission in Ecuador, where he directed a home and the Holy Family of Nazareth School. On February 5, 2012, Salado took a group of children for a walk in the beach, and around noon the tide rose and seven of the children were swept away. Manuel quickly realized that this was a matter of life and death and didn't hesitate to jump in the water and save each one of the seven children. After bringing back the last two to the beach, he, w he collapsed completely exhausted. One of the sisters from the home said to him, Manuel, you've retrieved them all, after which he died. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to God in all things. St. Catherine of Sweden, pray for us. St. Catherine was born in 1331. She was the fourth of the eight children of St. Bridget and Ulf Gudmarsson. She was educated at the convent of Reisberg, and she was married by arrangement at the age of 13 to a very pious German noble, Egart von Kronen. But soon after their marriage, both she and her husband took vows of chastity and continence. They decided to travel to Rome in 1350 in order to be closer to her mother, uh, which was St. Bridget. But soon after their arrival, St. Catherine's husband passed away. And so for the next 25 years, uh, the two of these, uh, these women, St. Catherine and St. Bridget, lived together in Rome as a base for many pilgrimages they made, including even over to Jerusalem and back. They spent their days in prayer and meditation, working with the poor, teaching them religion. But both of them had to continually fend off unwanted advances of the local men trying to court them, including some young lords. In fact, there was one such occasion when a wild dog had to come to the defense of St. Catherine to, uh, to chase a troublesome would-be suitor away. When Bridget died, though, Catherine took her body back to Sweden burying it at the convent of the Order of the Holy Savior, which would become the Brigentines. Catherine became their superior and uh, an abbess, and she wrote a devotional work entitled Consolation of the Soul, but no copies have survived. She attained papal approval of the Brigentine Order in 1375 and worked for the canonization of her mother. St. Catherine would die on the 24th of March, 1381, and would be canonized in 1484 by Pope Innocent the eighth saint catherine of sweden pray for us the gospel today comes to us from john chapter 8 it's a continuation from yesterday verses 31 through 42 jesus said to those jews who believed in him if you remain in my word you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free they answered him we are descendants of abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, how can you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Amen, amen, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in a household forever, but a son always remains. So if the son frees you, then you will be truly free. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me, because my word has no room among you. I tell you what I have seen in my father's presence. 
Then do what you have heard from the father. They answered and said to him, Our father is Abraham. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you are trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I, have, that I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You are doing the works of your father. So they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and am here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Choosing Abraham over God the Father. Did you catch that? They were choosing Abraham over God the Father. Did you also catch the little slight that they threw at Jesus? We weren't born of fornicators. I mean, sort of implying that Jesus was. Like, wow. <laughs> That's kind of rough, don't you think? I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine having to go to your, your, your judgment upon death and having to give an account of that time when you accused Jesus's mother of fornicating? Yeah, I would want to be that person for sure. <laughs> May God have mercy on my soul for all the many blasphemies that have come out of my mouth over those years. Why do you think I give God praise all the time? Because I have said so many things in my life that were not edifying and not wonderful and beautiful. It is time that we use our, our, our bodies, our lips, our mouths, our vocal cords to give God praise continually. And so here we see this one incredible encounter between Jesus and these Pharisees that are trying to make Make excuses to not believe in him, trying to to uh, to uh, throw jabs at Jesus. Now, I think it's also very interesting. Sort of, the, you get a contrast here between slavery and uh, and freedom, and they use Abraham as their model. Now, the two sons of Abraham, Ishmael, right, and Isaac. One represents slavery, Ishmael, and one represents freedom, Isaac. And remember that time when Isaac, when Abraham was called to take his only begotten son. Uh, and to a mountain, the same mountain that Jesus would climb one day, to bear the wood up the same mountain and and be, be uh, offered up there? Well, we must make the same choice. Do we choose the slavery of our sins or the freedom that we receive in Jesus Christ? We must make that choice. And just like the, uh, the Israelites who had five slave masters, well, our sins can enslave us. It's time for us to slay those sins through Jesus Christ. We'll be right back. Don't worry about it. Protestants like to use James 2, 10 through 11 against the Catholic doctrine of mortal and venial sin. Because James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But James can't be denying the doctrine of mortal and venial sin because in 1.15 he affirms it saying that sin in its beginning stages doesn't bring death, venial sin, whereas it does in its more mature stages, mortal sin. The point James is making in James 2.10-11 is that we must keep all the commandments in order to avoid incurring the guilt of transgressing the law. We can't say to the Lord on Judgment Day, Lord, I only broke one commandment but kept the other nine. So James 2, 10 through 11 is simply a misfire in trying to take down the Catholic belief of mortal and venial sin. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com.
Hi, Joe McLean here, host of the Catholic Drive Time, heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of the Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. Real Estate for Life offers their clients a faith-based experience. Real Estate for Life is online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Coming up in, uh, I don't know, 18 minutes or so from now, E. Michael Jones is going to be our guest today. Libido Dominandi is a book he wrote, um, and we're going to have a conversation around that. The book, the subtitle of that book is called Sexual Liberation and Political Control, and we'll link to it, of course, but uh, E. Michael Jones is going to be our guest. We're looking forward to that conversation. Don't forget, too, I just want to mention, I want to thank Real Estate for Life realestateforlife.org for generously underwriting a portion of Catholic Drive Time. Uh, They connect buyers and sellers of houses uh, to provide a faith-based experience and to uh, uh, support pro-life causes. And so we're very grateful for their sponsorship of our program. Uh, Their website is realestateforlife.org. And one more more little selfish or selfless plug here, and that is that our podcast is available now of Catholic Drive Time. You can find it ubiquitously ubiquitously everywhere or linked up over on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. But wherever you get your podcast, do us a favor, subscribe and review. That'll help us to uh, grow our audience even further. We'd be very grateful to you for becoming an ambassador of the show. All right, there are several stories that I would like to jump into. One was reported, uh, we discussed it yesterday, and that is the, the, the tragedy of the shootings that took place at the Atlantis area spas. Um, and there was a young man there who was arrested for murdering people for going on a violent uh, shooting spree, which is insane and evil. And the world seemed to very, be very quick to say it was reduced down to simply uh, racism. And they seemed to dismiss or overlook a, a telling uh, symptom to the whole problem, and that is the, the shooter's own admission to their, his addiction to pornography. In fact, according to an article I'm reading here on voanews.com, uh, the suspect's own family kicked him out of the house because of his addiction to pornography and his, uh, his sexual addiction. And the authorities even say, and I'll, I'll read a little bit to you here. It says, this is according to the voanews.com article. The headline says, sexual addiction may have motivated suspect in Atlanta spa shootings, investigators say. The suspect in a series of shootings Tuesday that left eight people dead, six of them Asian women, at an Atlanta-area Asian spa indicated to authorities he had issues with, quote, sex addiction, unquote, according to investigators. They also say that 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long told them that he wanted to eliminate the temptation. Quote, he apparently has an issue, what he considers a sex addiction, and sees these locations as something that allows him to go to these places and it's a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate, unquote, according to Cherokee County Sheriff's Captain Jay Barker. 
Officials also say Long may have been on his way to Florida to commit even more shootings. A law enforcement official told CNN that Long's family had recently kicked him out of the house because of his sexual addiction. He reportedly spent hours on end watching pornography. You know, it surprises me that we overlook that. I mean, well, I guess it doesn't surprise me in some ways. And part of this conversation is going to be had with E. Michael Jones in, uh, in a little bit. We have normalized pornography. Uh, what was the, the Grammy halftime? Was it the, not the halftime. The Grammys, the Cardi B uh, performance, it, soft porn. I mean, it was pretty car- hardcore from what I've been told. I've never watched it, nor, nor will I. How many, how many halftime shows at football games have been truly scandalous? That's mainstream media. I tell you what, when's the last time you've flown on an airplane? How many people have uh, iPhones and iPads and computer mo- monitors out on their, on their little tray table watching whatever they want, no matter how many kids may be surrounding them, let alone uh, men who are struggling to not commit sin and the, by the near occasion of sin of having to see a screen that's right in front of your face whether you want it to be or not? And you have to avert your eyes the entire time. You want to know why? Because heaven is real, and so is hell, and people go there for committing sin. And this is the thing I want to to point out about this. We want to say racism, racism, racism. Racism's real. I get it. I understand. But if you look past, if you make excuses for sexual sins, pornography addictions, uh, this is a ginormous mistake. We'll get to the gravity of that with E. Michael Jones. Let me just tell you, I was addicted to pornography. I grew up addicted to pornography addiction. I've written a book about it. I've traveled around the country and overseas to share my own story of addiction to pornography. I've uh, produced a documentary film about the struggles of pornography addiction and the father wound. I, I can tell you personally, one of the aspects of pornography addiction is how it changes the brain. You see, we have these neural pathways in our mind. And those neural pathways have a function, especially in relation to human sexuality, especially in relation to your spouse. These pathways create a bond, a chemical and a physical bond in the mind between you and your sacramental spouse. It builds the foundation upon which life can be established, built, and raised. But when you abuse that with something like pornography or casual relationships, your mind gets twisted. And the effect of that is you no longer think straight. You see people not for, uh, not for who they actually are as human beings made in the image and likeness of God, having the dignity of God built into them. You don't see them that way. A pornified brain, a person addicted to pornography, addicted to the dopamine rush in the mind, does not see the other person as a human. They see them as an object to be consumed, like this water bottle here. When I'm done with it, I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to toss it off. I'm going to get rid of it because it means nothing. That is the dignity of the human person to a pornified brain. Their mind is twisted. The good news is, 
it can be fixed. It can be repaired. Uh, the National Center for Sexual Exploitation is an excellent resource for statistics on this stuff, also on resources to, to get help, also uh, on resources to talk about the studies about the, the, plas- the, uh, the plasticity of the brain and how and when it can be uh, healed. It does take time, but it just it, it bugs me to no end to see uh, people dismiss the effects of pornography. I mean, look, here's another story. I saw that just this morning. I didn't even have to scratch very hard on the surface to find some of these stories. This is reported by The Blaze. 20-year-old man met with teen on Instagram, lived under her bed for three weeks, and raped her, police say. According to this article, it says police say a 20-year-old man lived under a teenage girl's bed for three weeks after meeting her on Instagram, and in that time, he raped her and took nude photos of her. The shocking incident unfolded in Ohio. Police allege that Jarrett Wright uh, met and identified the unidentified victim on Instagram and began living under her bed in February, unbeknownst to her parents. It was unclear if the two were in relationship or if she lived or if she invited him to live under her bed. The girl was reported to have uh, been aged between 13 and 18. Police say that Wright uh, assaulted the girl and took nude photos of her. Eventually, the teen's mother discovered Wright and called the police to arrest him. He was charged with three counts of, of sexual assault and a single count of producing child pornography. What was he going to do with those images? I wonder. Let me tell you. I went to uh, uh, I went to an event a few years back, uh, partially hosted by the National Center for Sexual Exploitation, and they invited a reporter who wrote for the Cosmopolitan, and she went around the world. And this was years ago. She went around the country rather and interviewed high school teens about their their um, sexual practices, and what she discovered. Uh, Catholic schools, private schools, public schools, it didn't matter. There was a, a, there was a, a, a habit in all of these schools where pornography was being passed around. And most of the time, it was of images of the girls at the school. And they were using these images to shame these girls, to manipulate these girls, to get them to do what they want. And it was ruining their lives. And, and, see, and teen suicide has been on the rise ever since. There is a direct connection between the evil of pornography and sexual exploitation and violence. A direct connection. And I think it's, uh, we can't just sit here and dismiss because of political wokeness, correctness, the, 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 the fad of the day to say, well, it's this or that, and then ignore this massive problem in our life. So if we have teens, if we have uh, friends, family members who spend their time uh, uh, perusing pornography. Trust me when I tell you, this will have devastating consequences on their life and the lives around them. And I'm sure you already know that. And do not underestimate the connection of pornography addiction with this shooter in Atlanta or any, I mean, I, who was it? Jesse Romero? Was it Jesse Romero wrote, uh, I think it was in his book. If I'm not mistaken, Jesse Romero has talked a lot about this, about the connection between pornography. Oh, yes, he was saying, we were interviewing him, he was talking about uh, his time as a sheriff's deputy in prison. Every single one of the huge, these major crime guys, these multi-murder guys, the, I mean, just these sick people, Every single one, pornography addiction was a major problem in their life. 
I mean, I could throw statistics, but I think you already know. I think you know what I'm saying is true. And yet, um, again, we want to dismiss stuff. We want to just pretend like, oh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Trust me, it's a major deal. Right? I, this morning, uh, louder with Crowder. I don't really watch him all that often, but he was talking about uh, this morning about how he had videos on YouTube that were taken off. Uh, they were rated for uh, not for safe for children. And then he showed examples of YouTube videos that were essentially gay pornography that were rated safe for children. Look at the hypocrisy in that. Look at the hypocrisy in society when it comes to uh, this, this crazy sexual ethic that uh, anything goes. I mean, you know, Drag Queen Story Hours, for example. We just read, we read an article on a report, I think it was last week, about uh, one of the founders who was arrested on child pornography, one of the founders of the Drag Queen Story Hour. This is not good, and as Catholics, we should be very concerned about all of this. We should stand up. We should put our foot down, and we should say, no more. No more in my house. No more in my, in my community. No more in my society. In my own house, we kicked the, the cable television out of the house many years ago. Internet is not private, it is public in my house. And the children don't have unfiltered, un, uh, un, un, uh, you know, they don't have access to internet and internet-enabled devices just whenever they want. Because I made, a, I made a bargain with the Lord when he saved me from pornography addiction. That my children would never find pornography in my home. By the grace of God, I intend to die living up to that promise. Let us all make that promise today that never in our home where our children find this film. We may be sinners, but we're never that. Amen? We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. How many times have you heard it said that the church has been weak and ineffective? Well, G.K. Chesterton says the church has been so powerful and effective that it colored even the things it had not hoped to influence and changed its enemies as well as its friends. It affects everything it touches. It inspires a life-changing love from its friends and a self-destructive hatred from its enemies. Its enemies will do everything to destroy it, and they end up destroying everything, except the church. The Catholic Church, says Chesterton, has endured for 2,000 years, and the world within the church has been more lucid, more level-headed, more reasonable in its hopes, more healthy in its instincts, more humorous and cheerful in the face of fate and death than all the world outside. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. 
Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Wednesday, March 24th, and these are your headlines for today. Employees of the second largest school district in the U.S. filed suit last week to prevent the district from mandating COVID-19 vaccines as a condition of employment. California Educators for Medical Freedom, with assistance from the Health Freedom Defense Fund, filed a federal lawsuit on March 17th against the Los Angeles Unified School District. In a press release, the HFDF said LAUSD's vaccine mandate violates federal law and basic human rights by requiring employees to take an experimental vaccine in order to remain employed. All COVID vaccines are currently considered experimental under the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's emergency use authorizations definition. In their lawsuit, employees say that medical experiments or clinical research may not be performed on human subjects without the express informed consent of the individual receiving treatment. The fundamental right to avoid imposed human experimentation has its roots in the Nuremberg Code and since then, forced medical experimentation of any kind has been considered both inhumane and unethical. Former President Donald Trump plans to launch a brand new social network of his own in the coming months. Facebook and Twitter both banned the 45th president after the 2020 election. The problem of online censorship and discrimination has steadily grown over the past four years, largely in response to the belief that Trump's 2016 victory was due in part to his effective use of Twitter. State leaders in Florida, Texas, Arkansas, and Mississippi, among others, have begun to fight back, proposing a range of measures meant to rein in big tech's ability to discriminate against conservative users and slant the flow of information on the world's biggest information platforms. The revelation of Trump's interest in launching his own social network helps explain why he never set up an account on Gab or Parler, which would have allowed him to resume his public commentary and would have substantially helped both conservative social networks raise their profiles. Christendom College is bringing the sacred to life through their construction of a new Catholic chapel. Christendom's Christ the King Chapel is being constructed to honor God and invigorate the faith of the students and the thriving local community. Christendom is known for its fidelity to church teaching in a time when many Catholic universities have lost their way. Christendom President Dr. Timothy O'Donnell said, The whole world seems as if it's living as if God did not exist. To have beautiful works of art, Catholic chapels, Buildings that lift people up and inspire them and remind them of the transcendent and remind them of the reality of God and also of the veracity of the Catholic faith is more important now than probably ever in history. With a special focus on sacred art, music, and architecture, this chapel resembles the old churches of Europe that stand out as icons of faith. And the lofty vaulted ceilings, stained glass, and murals are sure to inspire generations to come. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Uh, Thanks be to God. Thank you, Emily, for keeping us up to date on that. Uh, Again, I want to say, if you can go to our website, you can find the links to all of our social platforms and our podcast and and video playlists. And there's just a lot of detail there, plus all the stations that we're broadcasting to today on the Station of the Cross, Guadalupe Radio Network, and beyond. Uh, you can find all of that linked up at grnonline.com forward slash cdt to include all of the sponsors of our game show and realestateforlife.org as well. All of that is at 
uh, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Praise be to God. And uh, joining us right now via Zoom chat is Dr. E. Michael Jones. He wrote a book called Libido Dominandi, and it is uh, the book. Uh, it's called uh, Sexual Liberation and Political Control, but it's really about the lust to dominate and the use of uh, this, quote, sexual freedom to as a, as a tool to dominate and enslave the world, really. Uh, e. Michael Jones, good morning to you. Thank you for being on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, we, we, because we have such limited time with you, uh, there's so much we could go into. I, per, I know my team has a bunch of questions for you as well. Uh, I would personally like for you to start at the French Revolution and, and talk about the significance of what happened in the French Revolution that paved the way to a lot of what we're seeing in society today. Yeah, you, be, you began by talking about how the sex uh, released uh, from marriage uh, leads to violence. Uh, the that's true. The French Revolution is a classic example of that. It started off as as freedom from uh, uh, external oppression, and then it led to violence, the murder of the king, the guillotine, and so on and so forth. Uh, but there was a man uh, who was involved in that. Actually, from the very beginning, the Marquis de Sade was in the Bastille. Uh, he was a producer of pornography. Probably wrote the most famous piece of pornography in the nineteenth century. And uh, at a certain point, he was obviously a supporter of the revolution. And at a certain point, he uh, realized the revolution was being threatened by the Vendée, the Catholics who were marching from the West. And he wrote a, a kind of tract to get the revolution back on track. And he said, in order to do this, we need to incite passion. And in order to incite passion, uh, he suggested that they display women naked uh, in the theaters. Now, this uh, is the beginning uh, of what we would call the political use of uh, sexual liberation, the political use of pornography. Pornography had been pro pro prevalent in uh, France before the revolution. It led to the revolution. The, the libels against Marie Antoinette were one of the causes of the revolution. But the Marquis de Sade was one of the first people to understood that this could be harnessed. Like uh, Ben Franklin, he's kind of like the sexual Ben Franklin. Instead of electricity, instead of lightning, it's going to be sexual uh, desire, libido, that can be harnessed for political purposes. That was the beginning of it. You know, I think in modern, uh, in modern times, we really have a romantic notion of the French Revolution. And we, we sort of have this revisionist history of, of what it stands for, what it means. And I think many Americans probably wouldn't understand its true history and its uh, devastation upon upon the world. Um, but in reality, it, it was very devastating spiritually uh, and, uh, and on a societal level as well. Um, can you tell us now, bring us into to American culture, Western culture. Um, how has the French Revolution, what are the actual tangible realities that we're seeing today that can go back to that time? Well, the, the, the sequel, first of all, the French Revolution did not solve any problems. Revolution uh, uh, was rampant during the 19th century. The Revolution of 1830 followed shortly thereafter. The Revolution of 1848, all of Europe was involved in that. The Revolution of 1870, France was involved again. There, France still has problems. There's still a revolutionary atmosphere in France that's been crushed by the COVID virus. But I mean, it was the it was the yellow vest. Uh, that were the manifestation of it. But the, the real sequel was the, the Russian Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, uh, which uh, basically created a, a state that was going to spread this revolution through throughout the world. 
Now, the beginning of the Russian Revolution was was a sexual revolution. It was clear. There was Alexander Kolontai, I discussed her and Libido Dominandi, who said that uh, having sex was just like having a drink of water. Since it was a revolutionary atmosphere, they tried it out, and they realized it caused social chaos, and they had to get rid of it. So by the time of the end of the 1920s, Stalin had basically put an end to sexual revolution in, in Russia. But it was still alive, and the main man who carried it forward was Wilhelm Reich, who was uh, uh, a Jew, a, psych- uh, a psychiatrist who had studied under Sigmund Freud, and a communist. And you put all three of these things together, and he came up with a further weaponization of uh, sexual uh, liberation uh, in his book, The Mass Psychology of Fascism, which came out in 1933, the same year that Hitler took power in Germany. Reich had huge influence after his death. He came to the United States. He became a kind of quack. He ended up dying in prison, but he ended up on the cover of the New York Times Magazine in 1970 uh, as the father of the revolution of the 60s, the sexual revolution of the 60s, in particular the sexual revolution of 1968 in Paris, where the police were being attacked with books, literally throwing Reich's book at, at the police at that time. Reich was also the uh, author, basically, of the clergy sexual crisis that plagued the world and this country uh, in the 21st century. He said that uh, it was pointless. In his book, he said it's pointless to discuss, uh, uh, debate the existence of God with a priest. But he said if you uh, get him involved in sexual behavior, particularly masturbation, this was his key idea to promote masturbation. He said the idea of God evaporated from the mind of the priest and by extension the mind of Catholics. Now this was the big battle here in Austria at this time between the Viennese communists and the Catholics in the country. And this was the secret weapon. Undermine, you can destroy the power of the Catholic Church by getting the priests to violate the vow of celibacy. That's exactly what happened. It was promoted in the 1970s. Uh, they would promote priests who did this, the saying that they were pastorally in the avant-garde, but then they turned it around completely uh, and then they uh, created the pedophilia crisis because most most people do not have these desires, but some people do. And if you weaponize these desires, you can t- destroy the Catholic Church. And that's the way it was used in the 21st century. Wow. We have uh, just about uh, a moment left before we have to go to a short break. We're talking with E. Michael Jones. He's got a book out or it's been out for a long time now, Libido Dominandi. Um, we're going to link to it so you can find it. But uh, it's a, a great conversation we're having about the use of, of sexual liberation. But it's really a ploy because like a Trojan horse, it's going to enslave us. And if we don't get our heads straight, boy, it's going to get uglier. And uh, we're going to have that conversation, more of that conversation on the other side of this very short break. So don't go anywhere. E. Michael Jones is our guest. Don't forget, if you're on social media right now, if you're on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, like and share. It helps us. We'll be right back. Jesus tells us that for all we ask in prayer, believe that we will receive it and it will be ours. One Minute Monk, Abbot Placid Solari of Belmont Abbey. That promise from the Gospel of Mark can be difficult to believe because we can all list the times when we really prayed hard but didn't get what we prayed for. Maybe, instead of asking God for what we want, we should be asking God to help us see and accept what He wants to give us. 
In his rule, St. Benedict tells us that we don't need to talk at length in our prayer. It is enough to stretch out our hands and say, As you will and as you know, Lord, have mercy. For God knows what we need and wishes to show us mercy. For your free copy of The Rule of St. Benedict, visit OneMinuteMonk.com. O-N-E-MinuteMonk.com If we learn to pray for what pleases God rather than always wishing for things to turn out as we would like, we will be tranquil and thankful in prayer. Hi, I'm Emily Alcaraz, and I'm the co-host of the Catholic Drive Time Show, which airs from Monday to Friday at 6 a.m. Central Time. I'm excited to announce our partnership with our new underwriter, Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life offers a faith-based experience while supporting the gospel of life. They work with over a 1,000 pro-life agents worldwide and generously support a variety of pro-life organizations. Their website is realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. E. Michael Jones is our guest. Levito Dominandi, his book is our conversation. And uh, just off air, the team and I were talking. There's so many There's so many points we'd love to jump into. We have very limited time left with E. Michael Jones, and we want to get into that. And I know, Emily, um, there's a lot of links between the sort of the, the core essence of this book and what's going on in the church today. Yeah, that's right. And I know in your book, um, you kind of, you bring up St. Augustine, who was so ahead of his time. I mean, hundreds of years ahead of his time. Um, in, in talking about how our desires would enslave us and people in the church even see this sort of sexual license as a form of liberation. But you, in your book, you talk about how this is actually going to lead to more enslavement. So could you explain that concept for us? Yeah, St. Augustine said a man has as many masters as he has vices. That is the essence uh, of uh, the Christian understanding of freedom. That the first, the first thing you have to control is your own passions. If you can't control your own passions, then you, there's no point. You can have the most, the best political system in the world, and it's not going to work. And the founding fathers of this country understood that. John Adams, to skip ahead about 1,500 years, said that uh, we have no constitution that functions in the absence of a moral people. Now, he, he, he's, St. Augustine also said that a man, though a king, uh, is a slave if he doesn't control his passions, and a slave, if he does, is a free man. This was a complete revolution in terms of the idea of freedom, because before this time, freedom was always understood as something external, depending on external circumstances. In other words, if you had a tyrant, you didn't have freedom, and that was that. This revolutionized that, that whole understanding, and it made a new form of government possible, which is basically democracy, a representative government. Now, the fact is that we are undergoing a challenge to representative government right now. We have oligarchs that are trying to abolish representative government across the world. And the main reason they have power is because of pornography. That's that because pornography robs you of the right of the ability to control yourself. They can control you from the outside and then uh, you, once you're controlled this way, you don't even know you're controlled. So the classic example of this was as soon as we have the COVID virus, uh, we're locked down, uh, Pornhub comes and offers free subscriptions. This is classic, a classic example of what I'm talking about. This is the world that they're preparing for you. 
You can't go out. You can't go to your favorite restaurant. You can't travel. You can't do anything, but you can stay home and watch pornography. That's the brave new world that they've created for us. Uh, Dr. Jones, the uh, modern psychology is a huge element. I was uh, listening to a couple of your interviews, and you talked a lot about modern psychology and its relation to sexual liberation. And um, I know a lot of Catholics who are going into psychology and they're like uh, wanting to become Catholic psychologists. Uh, what what do these uh, people need to look out for, and uh, where does uh, the sexual liberation uh, infiltrate into psychology, uh, or is there any any good that can come out of it? Well, for, first of all, libido dominandi is a history history of modern psychology. So if you're thinking of going into psychology, you will get a form of modern psychology. And that means you, you need to read Libido Dominani to understand where you're going. So, okay, for, first of all, you have the, the father of modern psychology is Sigmund Freud. Uh, and he uh, is basically operating from the classic model. There are three parts to the soul, uh, logos, ethos, and pathos. Uh, the, uh, but what he does here is turn the soul upside down. So instead of having reason controlling passion, you now have passion in control of reason. And Freud, to his credit, had reservations about that, but Wilhelm Reich turned it upside down completely, and that's why he's a revolutionary. Then you have uh, behavior psychology, behavior psychology, and if you read the book, you'll understand how that evolved from uh, uh, sexual liberation in a figure like John B. Watson. And then you have the third form, which is the uh, the Carl Rogers type of psychology, which is basically a kind of a compromise between the two of them using uh, social groups as manipulative efforts. And the classic example of how that impacted the church is when Carl Rogers showed up to give um, sensitivity training to the Immaculate Heart nuns in Los Angeles in the wake of Vatican II and wrecked the entire order. And at that point, psychology had a devastating effect on the Catholic Church. The best example is uh, Eugene Kennedy doing a survey of the Catholic priesthood based on Eric Erickson's six stages or seven stages of moral development. Stage number five is having sexual intercourse. If you don't have sexual intercourse, you can't be a mature person, according to Eric Erickson. Well, guess what? Uh, all of the religious take vows of celibacy. So they're all immature. This had a completely demoralizing effect on the clergy. They felt that they were all losers because some psychologists told them, and that led them to act on their sexual impulses, and that led to the the pedophile crisis and the whole McCarrick story and the whole mess that we're in right now. Well, Dr. E. Michael Jones is our guest. Uh, we have about six minutes uh, before the end of the show. But uh, before we go on, uh, I was wondering, what is a way that we can move forward? I know in the past we had the League of Decency, um, and that was uh, the church's stance and able to uh, have a little bit of control over the uh, morality of the country. Is there any way back to that? And what went wrong? Uh, the Legion of Decency was one of the most successful operations the Catholic Church ever involved in, was ever involved in, in the United States of America. During the 1930s, uh, 1929, the Catholic, uh, the Hollywood invested heavily in 
talking pictures and then the depression broke out and they needed money. And the Catholic uh, lawyer who was lending him money, head of the Bank of America, said, no, uh, you're not going to do it. And at that point, Cardinal Doherty of Philadelphia organized a boycott of Warner Brothers theaters. And uh, at that point, uh, Warner Brothers was losing $100,000 a week in Philadelphia alone of depression area money, which was a lot of money at that point. And they capitulated and they signed the production code. This was a battle. Those people understood. Uh, I'm talking about Joe Breen now, who was the main, main architect of this thing. He understood who the enemy was. He understood that the church had enemies. He understood that Hollywood was an enemy of the church and they acted on it. This ended at this after the Second Vatican Council, uh, when the church basically abandoned the Legion of Decency uh, in favor of a production code. The, the, the group that, that did this was Hollywood, and the vehicle they did to break the code was a, a Holocaust porn film called The Pawn Broker. This was a Catholic-Jewish battle. We have to understand what it was. It was an ethnic battle, and the Catholic Church, because of Nostra Tate, lost its nerve and could not uh, engage in battle anymore in this battle over obscenity. And because they ran up the white flag in 1965, we are in the mess we are in today. Okay, but there's hope because libido dominandi started circulating among a generation, a new generation, the 20-year-olds now. During last November, NoFap November was basically a grassroots protest against pornography when these people woke up and realized they were slaves to their passions and that that was not a good thing and they were going to react against it by uh, boycotting pornography. Uh, and the result was a, for, a true form of liberation. And I can testify, I talked to a guy yesterday, it's on Bit, uh, on BitChute, I think, interview with a man by the name of Cheyenne who broke with that pornography habit a year ago during NoFap November and got married in the meantime and now has a child on the way. So it's possible to do this if you recognize who the enemy is. And secondly, if you understand that sexual liberation is a form of political control. E. Michael Jones is our guest. We have just about, I don't know, three or four minutes left in our conversation with, with you, uh, Dr. Jones. Uh, I, wanna, I wanted to bring up the, the use of pornography uh, against the Palestinians by the Israelites. Uh, can you tell us about that incident? Uh, what, what happened? Why did they do it? Yeah, uh, 2004, uh, no, 2002, I believe, the, uh, once again, the Israelis invade uh, Ramallah. Uh, this time, uh, they take over the TV stations and they start broadcasting pornography from the TV stations. Now, why did they do this? Did they want to bring, uh, did the Israelis want to bring liberation to the Palestinians? I don't think so. That's not the way it works. This is proof, first of all, that pornography is a weapon. It's a weapon against people uh, that they want to subjugate. Those people, I've said this, I've gave this talk uh, in Europe, uh, wherever I've given it, I've given it in Washington. Two, two times Palestinians were in the audience who said, yeah, I was there when it happened. Okay, and it's worse than you said. These people were confined to their homes. The only access they had was television to get information. If they went outside, there were snipers that were going to shoot them. This is proof that pornography is a, is a weapon and it's a form of control. It's happened in Iraq. Once Iraq was conquered after the war in 2003, uh, pornography flooded the country. 
It happened in Portugal uh, in the 1970s after Salazar died. The country was flooded with pornography to uh, get people off the streets. This is the this is the point of pornography. It's not something it's not entertainment. It's warfare. That's uh, that's literally insane. And the first time I heard that, I thought that that's just incredible. How could that be? Why would a country leverage pornography uh, as a weapon against others? And when you come to realize what pornography does to the person and to society, it does to begin to make sense. It is a weapon of mass destruction for sure. And I have seen um, commentators say that the sign of a, a civilization that is falling apart is the sexual license. So, mm. E. Michael Jones, do you see this as a commonality? And how do we fight against the, the, the fall of our civilization to sexual license? You have about a minute. You got the, about 45 the, seconds. <laughs> Sorry. The proof, why are people being banned from the Internet? And why is pornography never part of the discussion of hate speech or anything else. It's because pornography is a form of control and we have lost our ability uh, to fight it. And the way you regain that ability and the way you regain political power is cutting off the pornography and getting uh, your passions under control. It's that simple. All right, that's going to have to do it for E. Michael Jones. Libido Dominandi is the book. We're going to link to it. Uh, but uh, check it out, uh, get it, read it, pass it on. E. Michael Jones, thank you for your time today. God love you. You're welcome. All right, that's going to do it for hour number one of Catholic Drive Time. Uh, hour number two is delayed till 9, 10 Eastern. So if you can join us in the 9 a.m. Central, 10 Eastern time frame, we'd love to have you for hour number two of Catholic Drive Time. Otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. How should I respond to someone who wants to know if I've been saved or born again? Answer with a resounding yes. Tell them that it is through baptism that you are saved, just as the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.20, and that it is through baptism, water and the Spirit, that you are born again, just as the Bible says in John 3, verse 5. Many Protestants believe that they are saved by making a single act of faith at a single point in time in their lives. Nowhere does Scripture say such a thing. Catholics believe that salvation is a process which begins with our baptism and continues throughout our lifetimes, just as the Bible teaches us. Many places in Scripture talk about how one is saved, but not one of them says we are saved by one act of faith at just one point in time. Again, 1 Peter 3.20 says that we are saved by baptism. Hebrews 12.14 says that we will not see the Lord unless we are holy, and that we must strive for this holiness. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, it says we must forgive others or we will not be forgiven. Can you attain salvation if God hasn't forgiven you? No. So our forgiving others is necessary for our salvation. John 6 verse 54 says that we will have eternal life by doing something, eating the flesh and drinking the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Matthew 19 verses 16 and 17, Jesus is asked directly what one must do to have eternal life. Did he say, accept me into your heart once and that's it? No. Jesus said to keep the commandments and you will have life. Yes, as Catholics we are born again, and as Catholics we believe that we were saved, as Paul says in Romans 8 24, that we are being 
saved, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, and that we will be saved, as Paul says in Romans 5, verses 9 and 10, provided we persevere and keep our eyes on the prize. Salvation is a process, just as Catholics believe and just as the Bible clearly teaches. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave the GRN for any other reason but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They may not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.
Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me I've had friends before and I can tell you that He's one who will never leave you flat